This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It's a lengthy passage today, but it's all very important. Now, Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, greatly amazed, ran towards them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. Now, verse 12 is a key verse today, so pay particular attention here. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power, our godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you have handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Now, 16 is another key verse. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect health in front of you all. Today, I'm gonna to talk about praying in the name of Jesus. Praying in and with the name of Jesus. Let's now pray together. We have read this story, God, and this story has revealed to us more about you and more about how your people relate to you. And so we're asking Jesus that, Today, you would open our eyes to maybe part of prayer we are neglecting. And then for those of us who have formed a good and positive habit that has lost its power or maybe we are not giving it attention, it's become so habitual, we have forgotten the power behind it. I pray that you would refresh and renew that which we do so that when we pray in the name of Jesus, we would do so. Uh, with the recognition that you deserve. As in Jesus' name we pray, everybody agrees, would you say amen? All right, you may be seated. I mentioned in an offhand remark a couple weeks ago that I started preaching a long time ago. I started preaching in high school and I was real eager to do that. So I would meet other youth pastors or FCA leaders or young life leaders and ask, okay, can I come speak sometime? So that reputation started to develop. And so because of that, I started getting asked to pray a bunch, like pray at school events, pray at church events, pray at family events, pray at meals. 
I've been praying publicly in front of people for a long time. I'm going to tell you this, that because of that, I've made a bunch of mistakes in prayer, bunch of mistakes. I've uh, prayed incorrectly theologically and looked back upon a prayer and thought, wow, that's not even accurate. That wasn't helpful at all. I've prayed for a person named Bill just to say amen and to realize his name was Steve. And that's happened a bunch of times. This is going to shock you. So just, I mean, brace yourself. I've actually mispronounced words when I prayed. Can y'all believe I would do that? I would stumble over a word. I've um, misjudged the tone of a setting. And so when it's been somber, I've prayed kind of this joyful, enthusiastic prayer and didn't read the mood are the, the opposite. When things were joyful and exciting, I've prayed somber and serious. I've messed up a lot in prayer. I just haven't said the right word, haven't said the right phrase, had it, have not said it in the right way. But to my knowledge, something I've always done is I've always prayed in the name of Jesus. I've always prayed in his name. Now, I've prayed before a political debate. I've prayed before a state legislature or actually a county legislature. I'm not that important, okay? County, not state. Um, that's hyperbole happens sometimes when you preach. You say something and you're like, I didn't mean to lie. I just said it wrong. So it was a Sumner County Commission. I know you're impressed, but I prayed in front of uh, uh, kind of multi-faith gatherings. And, and when I pray in front of people who may not believe in Jesus, I always pray, I conclude my prayer with, I pray in the name of Jesus. Now, when I'm with my family or my church family, I typically say, like I just did a moment ago, we pray in the name of Jesus. But here's the deal. It's always in the name of Jesus. Because if I'm not praying in the name of Jesus, my words are useless. Okay, we don't pray to this kind of vague force kind of out there, or in here. We don't pray to this nameless God or this nameless force. We pray to a very specific personality. We pray to a very specific God. And so it is that later on this afternoon when you pray over your meal, if, you, if that's your custom, or if you're praying over a sick child or grandchild later on tonight or in the morning, or if you're praying just in your regular devotionals uh, for your country or for your city or your church, pray in the name of Jesus. Because when you pray in the name of Jesus, you are access, accessing a particular person, a particular God with a revealed personality. Prayer is not something that's a psychological boost. It's not uh, tapping into this force everyone in the world feels. Prayer is directly to a specific person, Jesus Christ has revealed through the Holy Spirit in the Godhead, the Trinity. And I want you to look at some scriptures with me in John chapter 14. And we're gonna see here that in these two passages that we're gonna look at, that at least five times Jesus uses the phrase, in my name, in my name. It's very important to Jesus that prayer happens in his name. John chapter 14, verse 12. This is in page 595, if you're using the Bible that I use, that we passed out. 
Jesus says this, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, let me just pause and you can keep that that up for a second because I'm gonna read the rest of it. I've been encouraging you to pray and showing you the biblical evidence and even talking about the practical ramifications and good things that come from prayer. But, you know, prayer does have a condition on it. You have to pray in Jesus' name. I mean, you have to pray in the name of Jesus. And you're gonna see from the sermon today that this is not as much about vernacular because it's not so much about saying a magic phrase. It's not that at all, actually, okay? It's about being in relationship with this name we call upon and understanding who Jesus is and understanding what he has for us and therefore praying in his name. Back to verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. That's the Holy Spirit who's with us this morning. He's with us always. Verse 16 says, I assure you, anything you ask my Father in my name, I will do it. No, I'm sorry, chapter 16, John 16, verse 23. I'm sorry. Anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. I have spoken these things to you in figures of speeches. Speech, excuse me. A time is coming, which by the way is the time we live in currently. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. That's the day we're living in. I'm not telling you that I will make requests to the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So Jesus is saying this, you're going to ask the Father in my name for what you need, for what you want. And when you ask in the name of Jesus, you can only ask in his character. So you're not asking for things that oppose God's will. You're not asking for things that oppose God's word. You're asking in the name of Jesus. So Jesus says in these various scriptures, ask whatever you will and it will be done, but he puts a qualifying phrase in it. We're to ask in the name of Jesus. And and this is what I want us to take home today. I don't want us to become tired and weary and and let the phrase in Jesus' name just become this, this good habit that no longer has meaning. I want you to understand when you pray in Jesus' name, you're accessing something incredible. You're accessing something special. When you pray in Jesus' name, you're accessing the power and authority of heaven. And we'll get to all of that. It's this day, listen, God's either going to show you something new or he's going to renew something you've done before and put a new understanding to it. Now, what does the word thunder mean to you? What is the word thunder? There, there, there can be a lot of different meanings to that word. Uh, we have this dog. We have two dogs, but one of them is really, really scared of the thunder. So we'll be laying in bed and hear thunder. 
And instead of being concerned about the hundreds of dollars of electronics we have in our house, or instead of being concerned about the hospital across the street and their access to power, or being concerned about potential forest fires that could start through a lightning strike, we think, Buster, is he okay? And old Buster comes up the stairs, and, and Beth, my wife, sitting right here, she is so compassionate. She's like, oh, Buster, are you okay? And, and I, we're in you know, dog management. Let's, let's hope the dog doesn't have a seizure here because thunder is in the area. Boy, owning pets is such a joy, isn't it, right? If we're, if we're in other parts of the city, you know, thunder occurs, and we think, how's Buster? I hope Buster's okay. So that's just part, I guess, of owning a pet, and you can tell what a thrill it is for me to be a pet owner. But anyway, when you hear the term thunder, uh, you may think of a basketball team in Oklahoma City. They've been pretty good the last few years, the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is quite a shock because being from Texas, I didn't know anything good could come from Oklahoma. Huh? <laughs> of course, they had to get a University of Texas basketball player named Kevin Durant to make them great. That's what Oklahomans always do. They, they fill up their football team with Texans. They fill up their NBA team with Texans. But I'm going down a path that's not the best here. The point is this. You know, you may think uh, when you hear the word thunder about this basketball team, it's pretty good. If you were on the beaches of Normandy, France on June 6, 1944, the word thunder would mean something completely different. Because on that day, historical facts and legend knows this, that as the military, the army uh, entered France and began to establish himself on the beaches and beyond, that a password they used to identify them as part of the allies and not part of the enemy was the word thunder. So they did not identify and say the word thunder uh, to a guard, their life could be in jeopardy. So this isn't something as frivolous as a basketball team to those men. It wasn't something, you know, as frivolous as owning a pet. Is that frivolous? Or uh, something as uh, trivial. Uh, it was life and death, whether they used the term thunder. Here's the point as I talk about the word thunder. The context determines the power behind the word. The context determines whether the word, how effective it is. Now, why do we pray in the name of Jesus? Here's my first point today, is because the power of Jesus' name. The power of Jesus' name. We pray in the name of Jesus because when we access the name of Jesus, we access power. There's power in the name of Jesus. The songs that were selected today reinforce that over and over again. Because we want us as we sing and look at scripture to see that Jesus's name has power, but it doesn't have power to everyone because not everyone believes in his name properly. In fact, his name is used as slaying and it's used as cursing and it's used in exasperation when people say something like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe that happened. And we need to have grace towards people who are sloppy with their language like that because a lot of people don't understand what a misappropriate use that is. And, and bad habits are passed down culturally and generationally. So I don't want us to, I don't know, to become rude to people who use that slang, but I just want you to know if you're a Christian, you shouldn't do that. 
And if you have that bad habit in your life, you need to start changing it. Because the name of Jesus is not something we sigh in exasperation. The name of Jesus is not something we use to curse a situation or to show our frustration. Man, the name of Jesus has power, but it only has power to those who know what it means. If you treat it frivolous, uh, frivolous, I can't say that, excuse me, thank you. If you treat it casually, (laughs) God just likes to keep me humble, you know, one way or the other. If you treat it in, in a way that doesn't have respect, it won't have that power, it won't have that effectiveness that God wants you to have. So we have to understand the gospel. If we understand the gospel, we understand that the name of Jesus has power behind it. Because all of us deserve, deserve punishment and death because of our sins. And Jesus paid the price for our sins. Jesus was the substitute. In the book of Romans, it explains this in many different ways. Romans chapter five is a great way. In verse eight, it talks about God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And in verse nine, I want us to look at this together. It said, much more than since we have been declared righteous by his blood, meaning his death being the substitute for us, we will be saved through him from wrath. Now, I want you to consider this this morning, that because of our sins, we deserve the wrath of God. That may not be a popular message today, but that's the message of the scripture. Without Jesus, we're under the wrath of God. But with Jesus, instead of wrath, we have mercy. With Jesus, instead of judgment, we have love. That's why his name is so powerful. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, it's not like a hocus pocus kind of magical phrase because not everyone who uses the phrase Jesus accesses the power. You have to believe in who Jesus is to get the power behind the gospel. In fact, Matthew 24 in that passage, Jesus lets us know that some people will misuse his name. They'll get to heaven and say, look at all the stuff we did in your name. We drove out demons and we did all these spiritually spectacular things. And Jesus will say, I didn't even know you. So there are people who use the name of Jesus, but didn't use the name of Jesus with the understanding of who he really is. Ephesians echoes this. I think it's Ephesians chapter one, verse seven. Echoes the same scripture. We have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace. Listen, guys, those who don't believe in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus cannot pray in his name. They could say the words in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, but if they don't believe that Jesus, Jesus was the sacrifice for sin and he is the only way then that prayer is just words. There's no power. A few years ago, I went to a a ball game where my friend was the coach. And we had talked before the game. I I had made arrangements to, to come from out of state. And he said, well, I'll put your name on a list and you'll get in the game for free. So I kind of found where that line was. And I got into the line, got up to the front and my name wasn't on the list. 
So I'm digging my pot. I'm gonna get my 20 bucks, go get back in line and, and pay for the game. But before I walked away, I just mentioned to the guy standing with the list, I said, you know, I'm one of Chip's good friends. And he kind of, his eyebrows kind of raised and he said, oh, you're one of Coach Chip's friends? I said, yeah. He said, well, go ahead and go in. He said, in fact, see that gate down there? That'll take you to the field house. You can go say hello to him. My name wasn't on the list. I was going to have to come up with the price just like anybody else. But I accessed in that context the name of the coach, which had lots of authority in that stadium. This is one of the reasons why we pray in the name of Jesus. Here's the second point. is because of the authority of Jesus' name. The name of Jesus has great authority on it. It has an authority that is much higher than human authority. It has authority that is much greater than anything that we can produce on our own. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're not only accessing power, we are accessing an authority that Jesus has. Philippians chapter two, it states this so well. Philippians chapter two, starting with verse eight, talking about Jesus, it says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him. Now look at this beautiful phrase. You, you may have heard this phrase, but now I, I want you to see it in the, in the Bible, on the screen, in your Bibles. And gave him the name that is above every name. Is that not a beautiful phrase? Jesus has a name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my dearest friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Go back to that first slide, verse, verse nine. Gave himself the name that is above every name. You know, we live in a society that wants everything to be fair. We've almost you know, handicapped ourselves with that mindset. Everything has to be fair. And you know this, you've lived life. Life isn't fair, is it? Things just are not fair. As hard as we try to be equitable, it, it's almost impossible. And unfortunately, religious scholars, sociologists, those in the academic world have tried to do the same with religion. They tried to say, all religions are equal. I mean, all religions are equal. Just choose your path. You know, just find your God, just enlighten yourself. It may be Jesus, it may be Buddha, it may be one of the Hindu gods, it may, it may be uh, the prophet Muhammad's teaching. Just find any teaching and, and, and just enlighten yourself. Find a pathway to God. But Jesus, his very claims does not make that possible. Jesus didn't say, we're all equal here. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways to God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. And now we see in that scripture in Philippians 2, 9, that his name is above every name. We pray in the name of Jesus because his name is matchless. There's none like it. There's no other God that compares to Jesus. There's no other religion that is on equal planes with that which lifts up the name of Jesus. There is no other leader that can lead like Jesus. There's no one wiser than Jesus. Jesus' name is above everything. His name is above our darkest sin. 
His name is above our biggest mistake. His name is above our sickness. His name is above our depression. His name is above our financial trouble. His name is upon our dead is above our dead ends relationally. His name is above every challenge we face, every limitation before us. His name is above all names. And so when you pray, you're not only praying in power, you're praying in the authority, the authority that is Jesus, his name that is above every name, his name that is higher. And we have the opportunity, brothers and sisters, to pray in his name. Listen, remember I told you about all my mistakes in prayer? I mispronounced words. Yeah, I did it in a sermon too. But I mispronounced uh, words in prayer. I've prayed for the wrong people. I've even prayed things that later on I thought, why did I even pray that? But when I finish my prayer are included at the beginning or in the middle of my prayer, whenever it is, the name of Jesus. Then all of a sudden, my limitations and my mistakes and, and my deficiencies, man, none of those, all those things are covered by his blood. They don't matter anymore because the name of Jesus is so powerful. The name of Jesus is so effective. The name of Jesus is so high that he lifts us beyond our limitations and our mistakes. He is, the scripture says, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, which means he's the president of presidents. He's the governor of governors. He's the senator of senators. He's the mayor of mayors. He is the pastor of pastors. He is the leader of leaders. He is the teacher of teachers. His name is above every name. And we get to pray in the name of Jesus. This means our phrase in Jesus' name, or often I'll say in Christ's name, which are synonymous, it doesn't matter the phraseology. It matters the heart. It's recognizing who he is. And that ability is a gift to us. It's a gift of humility. And it's a chance to access the power and the authority of who he is. His name's above all names. Here's the last thing I wanna share with you today is, the identification with Jesus' name. We get to identify with Jesus' name. It's always odd to get misidentified. Isn't that always weird when someone thinks you're someone you're not? I pastored this church for seven years. Next Sunday will be seven years I've pastored this church. And occasionally it's happened, I've been talking to another lady in the um, foyer out there and a visitor will come their way, come our way and ask this other woman who's not my wife. They'll say, oh, are you Aaron's wife? And you would not believe the look of horror that comes over these ladies' faces. It is the fastest no you've ever heard. It's like, look of horror, no, no, as quick as they can. Because these ladies want to make sure they're not misidentified as my wife. So they're, just trust me, the only person who wants to be identified as my wife is this lady sitting right here. Thank God she does. I got lucky on that one. So that's just a, just a little odd and funny to talk about, but um, it, it just feels a little weird when we're misidentified. Well, the scripture we read at the beginning, the apostles, Peter and John, they were misidentified as men who had all this power. But what did they do? They quickly re-identified with the name of Jesus because they know this, that there's not power in the name of Peter. There's not power in the name of John. There's not power in the name, the church at Indian Lake. 
And there's not power in the name of the denomination. And there's not power in all of the schemes of men, the bishops and the overseers and the presbyters, whatever term you come up with, the senior pastors. There's not power in those titles. Power is in the name of Jesus. Power is in the name of Jesus and who he is. And so we reread what we already read in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us? Let me just say this. I think the religious leaders of our nation need more of this attitude. Why do you stare at us? It's not music and preaching and written books and blogs that change people's lives. It's the name of Jesus that changed people's lives. And look at this. Why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. And I just want to point out there that Jesus has a very distinct bloodline. He has a very distinct revelation. There is a story. There is a specific God revealed. He has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you've handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer being Judas given to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Now, I told you verse 16 was key. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. His name, it's the name of Jesus. Aren't you grateful that we have the name of Jesus and so, brothers and sisters, this is today, I wanted to encourage you with this. I didn't want to just rush through this principle. It's just a small portion of one of my sermons on prayer and just say, yeah, we ought to pray in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to know that you have access to a God with power. You have access to a God with authority. And you identify, not with your abilities, not with your uh, skills and talents, but with his ability. He is the one. Jesus is the one. His name is great and is greatly to be praised. And, and he's here. He's here for us. In an attitude of prayer, can we just stand together? We're going to close this service in just probably five minutes, just not long. I want to give you some time to pray. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. 